Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, hello there. Welcome in. It is indeed Downtown, the podcast, episode number 294. From the Zone Radio studios in Bangor, happy to be with you here, Rich Kimball, Reminding you that we're brought to you each week by Renewal by Anderson, your trusted window and door replacement expert of Greater Maine. Call 207-275-6622 or visit renewalbyanderson.com. Well, we've got a couple of terrific conversations for you on the program this week. A little bit later on, uh, actor, singer, entrepreneur, and a man with an interesting life story, Johnny Russo, of the Godfather will talk with us about, uh, well, his upcoming show in Maine, the stories behind it, and the life that he has led. Up uh, first, though, a great friend of both our radio show and the podcast, an actor probably best known for his work in That Thing You Do. He was Jimmy Mattingly, lead singer of The Wonders, not The Oneaters. He's back with a brand new TV series called Blue Ridge that premieres later in the spring, and a brand new film, Suitable Flesh. Our conversation with actor Jonathan Sheck here on Downtown. How have you been? I've been all right, man. How you been? I'm doing all right for an old timer, yeah. We're getting, a little, we're getting a little snow here in the Northeast. I think we've had either snow or ice three of the last four days. So, You know, it, it snowed this morning here in Nashville. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I, one of my buddies out in Los Angeles said, uh, how's the weather in Nashville? And I was like, <laughs> well, we had a week where we were snowed in and then the last four days have been raining and and he's like yeah uh, survive see you later i'm going to hawaii <laughs> ouch ouch all right i don't yeah. want to bring up a sore subject but man i was i was pulling so hard for your ravens oh i know they just you know it's interesting they it's very simple the the, the, the chiefs know what they're doing <laughs> yeah apparently yeah i would say so and the Ravens just kept, instead of calmly taking care of business, they were too anxious and young. Yeah, yeah, I think we saw that with a couple of those uh, late mistakes that uh, that Zay Flowers made. But but they're a good team. They'll be back. Yeah, we'll We've be got back. a little rooting interest here because uh, uh, Patrick Ricard, the big fullback, played here at the University of Maine. Did he really? Yeah. He's pretty awesome. He's great. We love him up here. You know, the one thing, like, guys like that, you want him to win the championship, you yeah, know? Yeah, like, like, that guy's he's such a hard worker, and love to see him win. I did not have a good day, because I was pulling for a, a Ravens-Lions Super Bowl, so I got shut out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after the Ravens also, I was like, well, at least the late Lions will be in there. Yeah. And then they blew it in the second half. Yeah, maybe, maybe take that three points when you got a chance for it. Hey, I thought the same thing. That was it. <laughs> Right? Yeah. The whole game shifted right there. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about some really great things that are happening in your life. A brand new TV series, uh, Blue Ridge, coming later in the spring in April. Uh, this was a, a film that you did a couple of years ago. How did the film turn into a TV series? Well, the, the whole journey of this has been just incredible. I left Los Angeles and kind of left everything behind. I, uh, I I really kind of like reestablished everything on the inside of me when I did that. So I left my representation, everyone, and I contacted a, you know, a handful of uh, 
people that I've worked with in the past and they said, I need help getting work. And one of them, Nick Gonzalez, said, I have this producer named Gary Wheeler. You have got to talk to him. He, the, the way they're making movies and everything, I think you'd really love it. And I got a call from Gary Wheeler, and he sent me a script called Blue Ridge. It, he offered me the role in the lead, which was a about a sheriff who, who left Los Angeles and moved to a small town in the south. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That sounds like fate, huh? I know. And it was just before COVID hit. And, you know, when we made it, you know, we, we made it. It was a tight uh, tight budget. You know, we moved fast. Um, I loved I loved my director, Brent Christie. I just loved these people. Like, I just fell madly in love with them. And um, that's not always the case when you make a movie. It's tough to make a movie. And they made it worthwhile. And uh, that's what Nick Gonzalez was telling me is like, these people are special. Like this energy that they make movies around is, is something that you are Jonathan. So, so we made that movie and then we were talking, me and Gary, we were were talking, talking. I I told him, I was like, we should do this into a TV series, but (laughs) I'm sure they had thought about that prior. And I heard rumblings and it was COVID. So everything was shut down. And, and then I, I think it was like, it was just before Christmas and Gary was like, Listen, we brought it up with the, the network, and they want to make it into a television series. And they want to use – no, he goes, they want to make Blue Ridge into a television series. And I said, do they want to use me? <laughs> <laughs> well, they not so, only brought you back, but brought back Sarah Lancaster. And you guys have such great chemistry together. Man, let me tell you, when, when the camera rolls, that is too, like, professional. And really professional actors, and um, we make magic when that when it rolls. And it, it, she she has the same mentality that I do. Is like when that camera rolls. Maybe because we're older and we made film. Like when they made movies, they when that camera rolled, it was precious. You know, nowadays it's digital, so it's not mm. as precious. But when they when they rolled film, like you had to make magic happen. And that's what me and Sarah do. We make we make magic happen, man. I'm telling you. We really do. Well, and you got a great cast as well. A Bruce Boxleitner, I see, and uh, A. Martinez. You got some really talented folks. Uh, uh, Aaron Cahill on board as well. It sounds like. Yeah, the, great group of support. They come, they come in, and they just make this uh, series stronger and stronger. Each each one of them. Um, and then we got Ethan Embry from That Thing You Do. Oh wow! Yeah, I got Ethan to come out to do uh, episode six. I got Max Martini to come out, Michael O'Hearn, um, just a great group of, you know, guest stars, people that, you know, came out for, for um, one episode. Just we built this thing together because I really believed in them and and I wanted to make this series something special. So, Well, it's coming up in April on uh, the, the Cowboy, let me make sure I get it right, Cowboy Way Fast Channel, which it looks like if you have a Roku TV, you ought to be able to get it. Uh, I think if you have Hulu, a bunch of the streaming services, if you want it, you'll find it. It's out there. That's exactly what they told me. They said on the day in every different city, it's a fast channel. So it's the, it's the you know, it's the Roku. If you have Roku, uh, you have to have a smart TV and Roku and you're good to go. And um, so I, I don't know how to promote, like, it's not Roku. It's we, If you really have a trouble getting to it, you can go to the Cowboy Way. Um, it's The network is INSP. It won't air on that until three months later. Um, 
But these fast channels are the way. You know, I, I can't tell you. I know you feel the same way. Like, they, they'll put a, a game on, and you're like, I have to subscribe to this. Oh, yeah. Watch yeah. This <laughs> oh, my God, are you kidding me? And then the next next series comes on, and you're like, I got to watch it. I got to subscribe to this, too. <laughs> it's like it's become too much. So I'm really happy that I get to promote something that everyone can watch. And they don't have to, they don't have to you know, the, people don't mind watching those commercials you know and it's yeah. less commercials than it would be a network television so and you didn't have to travel too far right did i read that you shot this in north carolina shot this in charlotte north carolina oh. now it's only like a 40 minute plane ride and you know i i have little kids and uh i i told my reps i was like after covid and it was just like i i don't know if i'm gonna be okay working far away like jeffrey dean morgan you know, me and Jeffrey are like, we, we got these little ones and we want to, we always want to be home, but we know that we have to work, you know? And I got the, I got so lucky that Gary the, and the, and the network and everyone was so supportive as me as a father that I got to go home on Friday to be with my, my family on the weekends. It, it sure, it sure sounds like this decision that you made Go back, go to Nashville, settle in there, focus on family first. And maybe this is a lesson for a lot of us here. You know, when you when you prioritize family and doing the right thing, good things naturally follow. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I got my my think my thinking in order in the right line. And when when I did that, I stopped I stopped worrying, you know, I stopped being afraid. I, I just I had full faith in where where it was gonna lead me and and fam my family was the most important thing. And, uh, you know, my wife comes out after the one of the, no, during the middle of filming the movie and she, she was acting so weird. I was like, what is wrong with you? And she goes, I'm pregnant. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's when we had, um, that's when I knew Lily Joe was going to come into the world. Now, Lily Joe is three years old. That lets you know how long we shot it. And then we shot the series last year. The strike kind of pushed us back. And I think we're getting in the writer's room for season two in uh, mid-February. Um, you know, everything's not solid, but there's a lot of hope that we're going to get the second season. Uh, people are going to, I just know people are going to love the first, um, first season and they're going to fall in love with Justin Wise, my character. And going to be great that's fantastic um you also have a new movie out as well i haven't seen it yet but boy it's getting great reviews uh you and heather graham uh based on an hp lovecraft work suitable flesh it, it looks like from the trailer and what i've read that this must have been a blast to film yeah it was it was so much fun you know um they called me up and they they told me what they wanted to do hp lovecraft so they wanted to switch all the uh genders so the, the boys were girls and the girls were boys. And I was like, wow, you know, I, we did that in acting class. That was one of the things we would do in acting class. We would switch up roles. And I thought that was always a challenge. And then when I realized it was going to be Heather, you, how did me and Heather Graham not starring in mo a movie together in the nineties? Yeah, Like you yeah. would have thought maybe Heather would have been in a movie by <laughs> now. So, I've always wanted to work with her. We've been friends for quite a long time. I knew it was a safe environment to go to. It was, um, it was H.P. Lovecraft was a comic, co uh, cosmic horror. It's zany. It's twisted. It's a little campy. Um, and we 
had so much fun filming these scenes. I, I posted one of these scenes recently. I I tell you, it was probably the most fun I've ever had filming before. <laughs> well, it, it looks like a whole lot of fun. And boy, you're getting great reviews as well. Yeah, we got great reviews. Um, we It opened at um, the Tribeca Film Festival. And ever since then, on Rotten Tomatoes, it was like it was the, the way they marketed it and the way that people received it was you know, they told you exactly what it was. Mm. So if you were outside that box, you wouldn't like the movie. But if you're inside that box and you read, you know exactly how they're selling it, what they're selling it to, you know, those people love it. And and the audiences, when they watch it together, you know, just they have fun. It's like a roller coaster ride, you know. We're talking to our friend Jonathan Sheck here on Downtown. Man, I tell you, you've been, uh, you've been doing some work, whether it was to get ready to play Justin Wise, the former Green Beret, but, uh, but dude, you are ripped these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I a good friend of mine, Michael O'Hearn, came out. And he he was a guest star on the on um on Blue Ridge, and uh, we we've been friends for thirty some years. Now he's four time Mister Universe. He is a legend in the bodybuilding community. And when the strike hit, I thought, man, I'm going to go crazy. I need, I need to focus on something. And I was like, you know, there's a contest up the street, Mike, would you train me for it? And he was like, how many weeks we got? And I said, five and a half. And he goes, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I went up for a bodybuilding contest, which I've never done before. I trained exactly like you told me I dieted a hundred percent. I almost got a hundred percent on every single day. And I showed up on the day and I beat the five time champ. Wow. That's fantastic. It was awesome. Over 50, though. <laughs> okay. That's it. Nothing, nothing to feel bad about when you look as great as you do. How's your beautiful family doing? Oh, man. We're, you know, we got to spend um, a week in the snow and got to go sledding. <laughs> and my, my little girl got to play in the snow for the first time. And that was just magical, you know? Well, I love seeing the pictures, the videos you post uh, with your kids. You obviously love being a dad more than anything in the world, and, and that comes through. So we're we're so happy for you. It's nice to see nice to see good guys finish first once in a while, and uh, have all these good things happen in your life. I appreciate that so much. You know, it, I I want people to know that you know their life can they their life can turn around like this too. You just got to find that belief inside yourself. Get rid of all the naysayers. And then those, you know, and let, we're going to hear him. You got to fall down. You got to get back up just like the Ravens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, they're, they're not playing anymore. You're going strong. So I, I think you're doing a little better than they are right now. <laughs> yeah. I did, I did push my father's uh, trip. He's coming out to see my mom and my dad are coming out. I pushed it one day because he was going to leave right when the Super Bowl was now. Mm. Right. Now you got a weekend so, free. You didn't want to have. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, uh, John, it's great to catch up with you. Congratulations again. We'll look for Blue Ridge coming in April to uh, Cowboy Way. You can get more information. If you're not following Jonathan on on social media, you ought to do it. You're a great follow there. Keep up with what's going on. Uh, Check out Suitable Flesh. That is streaming in a whole bunch of places and see the terrific work uh, that Jonathan's doing. It's great to talk with you again, my friend. Great to talk. Thanks for having me so much. Hey, oh, but before I let you go, too, uh, have you read uh, the new book by uh, your buddy uh, Rich Chismar? I have not. Oh, man, is that good? It's a, it's a follow-up, a sequel to his last one, and wow, is it intense. Well, I grew up where that book is written. I know, it, I know. Now, 
he stole a lot of stuff from me in this case. <laughs> but it's freaky to read his books were because I like I know everything he's talking about. So it kind of freaks me out. There's a little truth behind all of it too. Yeah. It's it's not it's not a book you want to read late at night, I can tell you that. Yes. It's great. And he's a great reader, one of the best, I think. He sure is. Uh, Jonathan, good yep. to talk with you again. Be well, good luck with the series, and we'll talk with you again soon. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks, you. Jonathan Sheck with us here on Downtown. We'll take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk with actor and author Johnny Russo next on Downtown. The better way to a better window, renewal by Anderson. Are you ready to fall in love with your home again? Are you ready to transform your home with new windows and doors that'll stand the test of time? Look no further than Renewal by Anderson. This is owner Troy Pearl to tell you that our signature service is designed to take you seamlessly from start to finish, ensuring a stress-free experience in your window and door replacement journey. At Renewal by Anderson, we understand the importance of quality craftsmanship and unmatched expertise. And here's the exciting news. We're extending an exclusive offer just for you this February. Enjoy employee pricing with $300 off each window and $600 off each door. That's right, $300 off every window you buy and $600 off every door. To schedule your free in-home, no-obligation consultation, visit us at rbagreatermain.com. That's rbagreatermain.com. The better way to a better window, renewal by Anderson. Wonders right there. Up next on Downtown, an actor who starred in one of the greatest films of all time, The Godfather, as he played the abusive son-in-law of Don Corleone. He is an author, a businessman, an entrepreneur, and a, as you'll find out, a heck of a storyteller. Johnny Russo comes to Maine for a performance on February 24th at the Portland Elks Lodge called An Evening You Can't Refuse. We learn more about it with Johnny Russo here on Downtown. Thank you, Richard. I love Portland. You know, this is my third time back. I can't believe it. Well, yeah, how did this uh, all come to pass? Did it, it start with your friendship with uh, Rob Baldacci? Well, ba Rob Baldacci has got me more work up there. He should be my agent. <laughs> and I love the area because, you know, to me, I, I, I don't like flying anymore. It's too confusing. So I, I, I take a I take a train to Boston, a bus to you guys, and I hang out. We have so much fun. It's, it's been great. And as you pointed out, I'll be Saturday the 24th at the Portland Elks Lodge. And I think there's a few tickets left. But uh, it is an evening you shouldn't refuse. Well, and what will people uh, get to hear? Some stories, but also uh, you, you'll sing, you do a little music. And, well, I mean, you ought to be able to sing, from what I understand, the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, taught you how to sing. Well, I'm, I'm the only person in the world that could say Sinatra was my only singing teacher. Marlon Brando was my only acting teacher. And I lost my virginity to Marlon Monroe when I was 16. <laughs> and it's all in the show. Film clips and all. I mean, not not the actually me losing my virginity, but... <laughs> That's what the show's about. Yeah, and it's been a remarkable life. You chronicled a lot of it uh, in your book, and, and it starts with uh, 
Well, a, a pretty rough upbringing. You, uh, you had a tough time as a, a youngster growing up in New York. You had polio. Was it five years in the hospital? I was five years. You know, it's, as we as reflect on it now, then it was like doomsday to me. I was quarantined five years in 1949, and it was part of Jonas Salt's experiment for the salt vaccine. And here we are talking about it today. And now I'm 81 years of age, and I feel younger now than I have ever done. So God bless has all been a, a great experience. And you were you were selling ballpoint pens on the street to try and scrape together a few bucks, and you, you had a, a pretty good regular customer who turned out to be a, someone fairly important. Well, not only was he important, his name was Frank Costello, and uh, he was called the ambassador. And uh, he, he, he was, he and Maya Lansky created the syndicate. And from that point on, I was friends with him. And basically, he was my mentor, him and his wife, Loretta, who never had children until 73 when he died. And I had the privilege of watching a private showing that he arranged because he wanted to see the movie The Godfather that I just made. And then he passed right after that. And you point out in your book and in interviews as well that uh, you certainly you ran with a whole lot of these guys and knew so many of the figures, but you were never a made man. You know, it is, it's just funny because I've had conversations with the FBI. You name anybody. I never wanted to be. I thought when they, they talked to me and I thought I was kidding them. I said, I didn't even want to be a Boy Scout, not alone a made guy. I wanted to be a made guy. <laughs> and that was Costello's upbringing any you know nobody knew my name basically i mean a few people did but nobody knew my name until the godfather came out because he always addressed me as the kid introduced me as the kid and everybody would say that's costello's kid nobody knew my name then when the movie came out everybody was saying wow i can't believe this but uh, as you pointed out it was my first movie and here we are 52 years later talking about it yet. Well, and, and you in many ways helped to get the movie made. I understand that uh, you did a lot of work trying to convince Joe Colombo that the way to make this movie happen was to work with the producers and that it, it might make more money for them. Well, you know, it was interesting at that time because he, he created a, uh, a Italian Anti-Defamation League and Joe to support his son's arrest all for the wrong reasons, but he hired a young genius at the time, Barry Schlotnick. In fact, Stu Schlotnick, his son, is my attorney yet. But uh, And that's when I came up with the idea. I said, why don't we have Barry talk to the Paramount people? And what you don't like in the script that you think is defaming, if they agree to change it, let them make the movie, and we can make a lot of money. And he emphasizes his we. I said, yeah, well, I'm bringing you the idea. <laughs> I was 26 at the time talking to a mob boss. And I said, if you did it, we'll ask for all the world premieres in every major city when it comes out. And uh, it almost happened. But unfortunately, uh, he got very aggressive. And on June 20, 28, in 1980, uh, 19- 71, he was shot down on Columbus Circle with one of his rallies and was put into a coma for the last five years of his life. So 
So Paramount and everybody ran away from that right away. We're but, talking uh, with uh, talk, me. It's talking with Johnny Russo uh, here on downtown. Well, you ended up uh, with with no acting experience, being cast as Carlo, uh, Don Corleone's son-in-law, and and you tell a wonderful story in the book, and you, you've told it before. But could you you share the story of what happened um, when you learned that that Marlon Brando really wasn't crazy about you playing this role because of your lack of experience? Well, you know, it was, uh, I, I, as you pointed out, I never acted. I felt very comfortable because they called the first rehearsal Apache's on 119th Street in Harlem, and I used to go up there all the time. And uh, when I got there, when I walked in, everybody, Danny Pagano, Tony Federici, all the major guys were there. And I said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm here for the rehearsal for The Godfather. They said, what are you going to do? I said, I had a big partner. Get out of here. You're not an actor. And like most people, every time I told them I was in the movie, they couldn't believe it. <laughs> so now we go into this room, and everybody's in the room, the whole cast, other than Brando and Francis Ford Coppola makes the introduction to everybody, saying we're going to read the script. And the Italians, I want them to exaggerate their mannerisms, because the non-Italians, like Brando being Polish, Jimmy Kahn being Jewish, have to become Italian in the next five days. <laughs> We're going to bring Brando in. Nobody should have contact with him. Don't look at him. Don't approach him. I said, I don't care. I'll sit right here. I'm, I was happy to be there. And then Brando approached me at the end of the rehearsal, and he said, you're a big TV actor. I said, no, I'm not. He said, you got a movie coming out. I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, you're not on Broadway. I said, you're right. I said, what's this, the quiz show? <laughs> He said, well, who'd you study with? I said, what are you talking about? Study what? <laughs> <laughs> and with this, he called Coppola over. And Coppola had nothing to do with me getting the part. I got the part because of Joe Colombo. <laughs> and he didn't want me in the part either. So he said, Francis, you got to think about this. This kid is a major threat through the whole movie. He marries my daughter. He beats her up. He gets funny killed. He's got to be a great actor. And I'm saying to myself, wait a minute, this guy's trying to get me fired. So I, I, I don't know protocol. I never <laughs> acted before. I told Coppola, I said, go over there a minute. I dismissed the director, and he went. <laughs> the whole room, you could hear a pin drop. I mean, but you know, everybody was there. And I put my arm around Brando, and I walk him to the back of the room. I said, let me tell you something. All due respect, I know who you are. You get me fired today. Listen to what I'm telling you. I'm nose to nose with the guy. As you get me fired, I will suck on your heart. You will bleed out of here right now. <laughs> he looked at me, stepped back. He said, that was brilliant. You could do this part. He <laughs> thought I was acting. I meant it. <laughs> <laughs> and then he ended up uh, helping you out and giving you feedback and acting tips along the way. Well, the funniest thing was Dick Smith, his makeup man, it took three hours a day to create Marlon Brando at 48 years of age into Don Corleone. So he's, he's had the ADs bring me in, and we would talk, and he'd go through different scenes with me, and basically, you know, the only reason I, I was recognized was the last scene of the movie with, the, with Pacino, and I never did anything like that before. You know, that people don't realize, lay people... They do the mask, and then they do a two-shot, and they do over-the-shoulder mm. close-ups. you got to keep emoting and, and, and crying and doing 
He said, how are you going to do that? And he did it all for me. So, I mean, my whole career was based on Marlon Brando's teachings. How tough was it for you to, to because you had to get fairly physical with, with Talia Shire, knowing, hey, that's the director's sister. Oh, that, that was a tough thing. Not only that, Francis' mother and father, who's also her mother and father, walked behind the camera, and he's saying to me, this ain't working. you got to beat her up. I mm. said, what are you talking about? How am I going to beat up your sister in front of your mother and everybody? So we, got, we had the uh, stunt guys come in. We paired her up, put a cardigan sweater on her. And if you watch the scene, basically I'm just whipping her with my belt. And it wasn't until we got into the bathroom and you heard the screams and all that. But, because, you know, even during that time, there was no way senses was going to let you beat up a pregnant woman in the film. So the, and that's how we got, got through with it. But it was a, a terrible experience for me because my mother was brutalized by my father as a kid. I remember that for the short time I lived home. And and I in your book you mentioned that uh, Jimmy Kahn really didn't pull any punches with you in that scene that you actually got punched and got kicked. Well, again, not never being in a movie before, I never made. I have thinking, wow, this is what they really do this. But I made a decision that day. I'm never doing a fight scene. I only want to do love scenes. <laughs> My elbow broke two ribs. This guy. Man, oh man, what is it about that movie, Johnny? All these years later. Uh, if anything, it's more popular than ever. It constantly shows up uh, at the top of lists of the best movies of all time. What's the key to it? You know, I just, I just think it's uh, when, when you take out the violence, there's a true story, a, a thread of what respect is and honor, which we're missing in our society right now. I mean, I wish you know, mob was running the cities like they used to, but uh, I don't know where we are now. But that movie has that and that we've crossed four generations and there's a lesson to be learned just to sit down and digest the dialogue and as i said put the violence aside there is definitely a message there well let's go back in time a little bit we mentioned uh, you meeting frank costello he served as a mentor to you and i i think i've got the timeline right here that he helped get you uh, into school learning to be a hairdresser and and through all of that you ended up being Marilyn Monroe's shampoo boy. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, what happened? I was doing errands for him, and I got caught outside of Dempsey's, which was one of my daily routes. And this guy came up to me, but he was in a brown uniform. I thought he was a dog catcher, but he was a tune <laughs> officer. He's, why aren't you in school? And I was laughing. I had like 5000 in my pocket. Why weren't I in school? He's, how old are you? I said, I'm 15. He's well, you got to go to school, and he gave me a ticket. And I was on the way to Tut Shores, which was one of my major routes, and everybody was there by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, including Costello. And he saw the ticket. He said, what's this, a ticket? What, were you walking too fast? And everybody laughed. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get it. And then he read it, and he said, this true officer. I said, yeah. He said, how old are you? I said, 15. He said, well, you got to go to school. I said, I don't want to go to school. He let me handle it. So he put me in Wolford Academy, and he made an arrangement. i just sign in and get out of there, and then six months I'd be 16 and don't go back. But I was I got there early in the morning, and there's 30 or 40 little girls. So he used to say to me every day, why would you stay there for two hours? I used to meet him at 11. 
I said, Frank, where are you going to go in New York to find 20 or 30 little girls? <laughs> I stay and I talk to them. <laughs> and then I became a shampoo boy, and the fourth head of hair was Marilyn Monroe. And that was the end of that for five years. Yeah, I'm going to say, she, she must have been impressed with your, your shampoo work. Well, uh, I don't know if it was that, but I, I, during that time, I was sleeping in the New York Paramount because I had nowhere to go after he went to work and went home. And uh, I used to, I watched Some Like It Hot maybe 10 times. And now I'm shampooing her hair. I couldn't believe it. And she's moaning, and she wanted a strong shampoo. And uh, have your audience get a visual. <laughs> My three-piece set was on her shoulder, and uh, I got an erection, and that was it. Then she started requesting me. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rest is history, and, and young, young, innocent Johnny loses his virginity to the most famous actress in the world. I mean, it was amazing. Well, so, uh, that, I blame that on Costello, too, because he went fishing with Tony Accardo. They used to go deep-sea fishing, a boss out of Chicago. And he so said, we have a guest at the Waldorf this weekend. I want you to look in on her, but go up at 12. I knock on the door. She opens the door, and she's Johnny, what are you doing here? I said, well, Mr. C told me to look after you. And she invited me in. I never saw room service with all these carts and all that and food. So I just ordered breakfast. Come in. And I came in, and she's one breakfast. I said, no. She'll have a glass of champagne. I said, I can't drink. I'm only 15. She says, you can have anything you want in this room. And I'm saying to myself, I'm going to get killed here this week. Who cares? That was a Saturday, and I left on a Monday morning. You figure it out. My goodness. That is a, it's a weekend to remember right there. You also had a, a long relationship with uh, a great talent who's been on our show a number of times, Dion Warwick. Oh, really? I managed Dion. I, you know, I, I can't say why I was her beard, because that's not, not, that's not fair to her. But uh, I managed her for 15 years. Well, you I didn't know Dion was on your show. She's a great talent. Oh, she's wonderful. Now, you uh, you also, uh, along the way, uh, you mentioned your work as a businessman. Uh, you owned a club and uh, ended up, uh, as a result of an altercation there, having to, uh, well, having to kill a guy because he, first of all, was, what, harassing a woman and then came at you with a broken bottle? Well, what happened was, you know, uh, it took about State Street. And that was a major supper club. And Steve Sharippa of Blue Bloods and the Sopranos was my doorman. Wow. He was going to school at UNLV, Nevada, uh, University of Nevada for hotel school. And we had this guy come in, and I called the front door. I said, Steve, who's that guy on 7? Because he's giving everybody $100 bills and all that. But we had that a lot when guys made a big score. And then the next thing I know, he breaks a Cristal bottle and sticks it in his girlfriend's face. So I said, Steve, get to seven. He said, I ain't going over there. That guy's nuts. <laughs> so I go over there, and the guy, I didn't know he still had the bottle. He went to turn for the girl, I thought. And he spins around to try to cut my throat, and he gets me. Fortunately, I was agile enough to go back and cut me along my chin line. And I said, how am I going to get this guy to defuse him? I started screaming at him, saying, look what you did to my shirt. I waited six months for this shirt. It's Sea Island Cotton. He's looking at me and saying, wait a minute. 
this guy's bleeding. He's worried about his shirt. I just wanted to get my hand on my gun without him noticing it. And I did, and I put it to his forehead. And I told him he got a chance to leave. He said, F you. I said, no. I put two between his eyes only to to find out he was Lorenzo Morales, who worked for, for the Dion Cartel, Pablo Escobar. That started another whole thing. But I'm here talking about it. Well, yeah, I would think. Do you still uh, you still light those candles to St. Anthony every day? Every day. I got, I got them in my, my – I made a novena long ago. First with St. Anthony to get me out of the polio ward. My grandmother made him my patron saint, and he still is. No, I'm so blessed. It's amazing, man. At 81 and doing what I'm doing, it's a miracle. Well, it has been a remarkable life, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Again, February 24th, the Portland Elks Lodge. There are some tickets left, but they're going to go fast, so make sure you uh, get your opportunity to see an evening you can't refuse. Some stories, some songs, some film clips, and one unforgettable night with Gianni Russo. Uh, it is great to talk with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Richard, thank you, and all the people in Portland, I love you. God bless. That's Johnny Russo coming to the Portland Elks Lodge February 24th for an evening you can't refuse. Yeah, you'll want to check that out. Our thanks to Johnny. Thanks to Jonathan Sheck. And thanks to you for being with us here on Downtown. Produced by Carrie Haskell and brought to you every week by Renewal by Anderson. The better way to a better window. See you next time right here on Downtown.